0: Welcome to the Physical Preparation Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Robertson, and I'll be joined in the line later today by Katie Jones from the University of Louisville. Now, before we jump into this week's episode, I just want to take a moment, catch my breath. <sighs> busy, busy Monday, my friends. Like, didn't think it would be that busy. I knew I had clients all morning, had a meeting with Bill, had a staff meeting, had staff training, came home. My kids are on fall break. So chilled for a little bit, then Cade and I went in, messed around in the gym for a little bit. We came home, walked the dog, grilled, put the kids in bed, had a call. Like I mean, like, you know how you have those days where you think it's a day later in the week just based on the length of that current day? That's kind of how it feels like right now. It feels like it should be Tuesday night, even though it is Monday night. But Before we get too deep into the inner workings of my day, I want to give you a quick recap of what happened last week, what's going on this week, and just kind of get you up to date on what's new in the world of MR. So last week, very busy coaching-wise, loving it right now, love having all my guys in. Also, last weekend was my first weekend with no soccer in basically eight or nine weeks. So it felt good yet strange to have an entire weekend off. So of course, we found stuff to do. It is fall here in beautiful Indiana. And so we hit Saturday morning, we went to this fall festival. They have this basically fully functioning farm in the middle of Fishers, which is kind of strange. If you see where it is, there is like a little bit of like cornfield around this, but it's interesting because it's basically ran by the Fishers Parks Department. And to show people like how a farm would work in case they don't want to drive 15 minutes out of the city to do that. But that was fun. So we went to a fall festival. We went to this outdoor vineyard. Believe it or not, Fishers does have their own vineyards as well. So we thought, oh, this will be fun. We'll take the kids. We'll take the dog. They have music. We're there about two minutes. Kendall decides she wants to paint a pumpkin. Great. She sits down. She starts to paint. Cade says, well, I want to play. They have these pumpkins, like little small baby pumpkins with X's and O's on it. He's like, dad, let's play tic-tac-toe. So he grabs them all, like big bear hug, right? As he sets them back down, I look at his jacket and I'm like, oh my gosh, they just painted those. <laughs> Literally, we've been there two minutes and he has black paint all over his jacket. So we go in, it's not a porter pot but like this trailer bathroom type thing that they've got set up for the next 10 minutes. I try and clean his jacket. Okay. So now we're back to square one. So we're walking around, walking the dog. Everybody's oohing and eyeing at Finn because he's a pretty good looking little guy. Like everybody likes a cute dog. And so, you know, this little girl comes over and wants to pet him. That's fine. I just have to hold him down because he loves to jump. I mean, he's basically like a nine month old child, except he's like 55 pounds now. So he wants to jump on people all the time. So I try and steer him away from this child. I turn around. There's another child. This child has a stick that she puts in his face and he chow, takes a huge bite out of this stick. I see part of the stick fly off. I'm like, okay, well, we're just going to go back and sit with, with mom and Kindle. And next thing I know, the dog is having a complete meltdown, like scratching at its face, howling, ah, 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 you know, like jumping up and down. Everybody's like, oh, your dog's so cute. He's having so much fun. I'm like, no, this is like serious. Then I start seeing blood coming out of his face. I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, what is going on? Is my dog like choking? Did he like stab himself with this stick? So finally, these nice people come over, basically kind of lay on him, calm him down. I have to pry his mouth open, pull the stick out. The stick had broken perfectly. If you could imagine like the back of your mouth in between your teeth, this stick had lodged itself perfectly in this guy's teeth, at the back of his his mouth. and I mean, he was freaking out. So as soon as I got the stick out, he was fine. If you've ever read, Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. It made me immediately think of that book because one minute later, the dog is fine. He's back to normal. I don't think my heart rate came back down for about 45 minutes after that. So, anyway, The Vineyard was interesting to say the least. We didn't stay there too long after that, but the rest of the weekend was great. We watched both of the most recent Avengers movies. We watched Infinity Wars and Endgame because they're great movies, first of all, and my kids love them. Also, we had double movie night, because why not? It's fall break. So we had that, and then Sunday night we went to the Headless Horseman. So it's like, again, kind of like a fall festival. Lots of festivals this weekend, but this is pretty cool because they do like a haunted hayride that you do at like nine o'clock at night, and this guy is, whatever, carrying his head, riding a horse, swinging a fake axe around. So it was a good time. Late night, but definitely, definitely fun. So that's the weekend. This week, not... Over the top, busy, which is nice. I got the coaching going on. Ty had his NBA combine here in Indianapolis today. I will not divulge all of the secrets and how that went. Just suffice it to say, I think it went very well for him. I'm excited for where he's put himself in this entire draft process, and I'm sure they'll post all of those on the interweb somewhere. But yeah, he's in the home stretch. Basically, workouts. I think he's probably going to have to shoot a workout video here at some point in time, but yeah, very excited for where he lands here in about a month. Because believe it or not, I mean, it seems like it's taken forever to get to this point. Guy's been here since the last week in April, but November 18th is going to be here and he's going to be drafted before we know it. So excited for him. Again, it's fall break. So trying not to work too much and trying to find fun things to do with the kiddos throughout the week. There are kids, right? Like Jess and I love to read. We're studious. So she took them to a different library today because our kids are obsessed with the library. Like I think each of us gets 50 or 60 books to a card and like all of our cards are maxed out at the library because they love to go there. So library Wednesday, we're actually going to go down to Southern Indiana, do a little overnight trip. There's a cool area of, of Indiana. It's called Brown County. And if you've never been to Indiana, imagine one of the flattest states you can imagine. The top two-thirds of the state are like completely flat. You can see so far because of the flatness in the fields. But you get in the southern region, there are some, I wouldn't call them mountains, but hills, right? Or at least some contours to the landscape. So we're going to go down there, hang out. I desperately need to do some shopping. I am about the worst person to shop for myself. Like, My kids are always dressed great because of my wife, my dress or my wife dresses impeccably well. I, on the other hand, wear black five out of seven days per week. There's plenty of Saturdays where I'm in essentially workout gear because I'll go to the gym and come home and shower and just, I don't have anything to do. So I'll wear workout gear. I'll coach soccer or basketball. I'll wear workout gear. So needless to say, I need to update the wardrobe a little bit. I need some new shoes. I need just some new clothes. So that's going to happen on this little getaway trip. So yeah, should be a pretty good week. Lots of good things going on. Lots to be grateful for. That's something I've been working to get back in the routine of is writing in the gratitude journal as often as possible because 2020 maybe hasn't been the best year for all of us and it's been worse for some than others, but I think there's always things if you try there's always things that we can be grateful for. And so that will work as a nice segue into this last piece where I just want to say thank you for your support and for listening to this podcast over the years. Believe it or not, because I don't put the show t- numbers into this, obviously I put a show title, but I don't put the numbers in anymore. But this is episode 250. And I just think back, and I didn't mean to do this today, it just happened to be episode 250, but I think back to. When I first started this backup, if you want to go way back, I actually had a podcast before this one called in the trenches fitness, which I don't think you can find anymore. Someday I will release all of those episodes into the internets again, but maybe 40 episodes just got sidetracked with it. Other things, other projects, children became a thing. So that definitely slowed my role, but 250 episodes in, when I started this, I was like, eh, maybe do 50 maybe a hundred tops. Like a hundred was like my upper limit. I'm like, I'll be bored or I'll have talked to everybody. So now 250 episodes in, I just looked, we have had 1,335,424 downloads. So if you break that down, the math breaks down to about 5,300 downloads per episode. Like that's pretty freaking cool. So that. I mean, that's humbling when I think about that. And I think about all the amazing people that I've had on the show. And granted, I've had the Bill Hartman's and the Lee Taft's and the Joel Jameson's, you know, I've had them on three or four times each, but then I have awesome new people like Katie, who's on this episode, who is just a fireball. Like I could talk to this girl all day because she's bringing amazing energy. Think back to the episode I did with Buddy Morris, where I didn't ask a question for an hour and 10 minutes. So if you didn't listen to that, go back. Episode 12, Buddy Morris. I don't get to ask questions. It's just Buddy monologuing, and it's amazing. You know, Stuart McGill was on here twice. I mean, that's a guy that I have the utmost respect for and one of the most world-renowned biomechanists on the planet. So to get people like that on this, this show make me incredibly grateful, and to have people like you that listen to this show, it makes me incredibly grateful as well. So... Thank you. Thank you so much. I love and appreciate you more than you will ever know. Now, as the saying goes, enough for me. Let's take a quick break, and then we'll jump into this awesome, awesome episode with my new girl, Katie Jones. It seems like almost every day, I talk to a young trainer or coach who was frustrated. Maybe they're frustrated with the results they're getting. Maybe they're frustrated because they don't have trusted resources to learn from. And maybe they're frustrated because they simply don't have enough clients and wonder how long they'll be able to stay in the industry. So if this sounds anything like you, I've got something that I know will help. My Complete Coach Certification was created for trainers and coaches just like you, who are serious about the results they get and know that becoming a better coach can directly translate to a bigger bottom line. This certification is going to take the last 20 years of my life's work and put it all into one massive course. In it you'll learn. How to use the R7 system to create seamless, integrated, and efficient programs for clients and athletes of all shapes and sizes. How to create the culture, environment, and relationships with everyone you train so you can get the absolute best results. The exact progressions, regressions, and coaching cues I use in the gym. From squatting and deadlifting, to pressing and pulling, and everything in between. And last but not least, I've added an entire section on my assessment process and how to use that to write programs faster and more effectively than ever before. Of course, there's a ton more that I cover, but that should give you a pretty good idea of what the certification is all about. Now, here's the thing. Spots for the certification will open twice per year for a limited time only. If you're interested in learning more, my next certification will launch in March, 2021. And if you join my free insiders list, you'll be able to save $200 when it opens. To get on the insider's list, just head over to CompleteCoachCertification.com. Again, CompleteCoachCertification.com, and then stay tuned for our launch emails coming very soon. Thanks so much for your support, and I hope you'll pick up a copy of the Complete Coach Certification when it launches. Katie Jones arrived at the University of Louisville in July 2017 and serves as a senior sports performance coach where she oversees programming and services for the women's basketball and lacrosse teams. Given her background in sports medicine, she has a unique perspective on the return of injured athletes back to peak form. Within the staff's team of teams approach, she leads the reconditioning unit and contributes to bioenergetics and speed. In this show, Katie and I have an awesome chat. We start by talking about how an athletic trainer morphed into a physical preparation coach the differences between timeline and criteria-based rehab, and why she uses the term reconditioning instead of rehabilitation. This show is absolute fire, and I love the energy that Katie brought to this episode. But enough for me. Let's do this. Katie, thanks so much for coming on the show here today. Super excited to have you on and chat with you a little bit. Could you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself?
1: Absolutely. First off, Mike, thanks for having me on. I'm very excited. I've been following you for years. So awesome. it, I feel like I'm big time. That I you do are big time, now. for sure. Good. So a little bit about me. I did not enter into strength and conditioning right off the bat. Okay. So I actually spent the first five years of my career as an athletic trainer. I started at Central Michigan University. I got my undergrad in athletic training, and then I went to Florida Gulf Coast where I spent three and a half years there. And I also got my master's while I was interning down in Florida. My first full-time job was with the Philadelphia Union Academy. And that is where i met probably the most influential mentor at the time. And that was Bill Knowles yeah. and what he was doing with, you know, his reconditioning process. And he took me under his wing there and turned me from just an average athletic trainer to someone who really wants to help athletes get on the field, stay on the field and be better on the field.
0: I love it. I love it. So, Tell me, what originally led you to the world of physical preparation? You started off as an AT, but like, how did you get interested in all this to begin with?
1: Yeah, I think a, a little personal journey. You know, I played sports all through high school. I got recruited to, you know, a couple of smaller universities for volleyball and softball, but I decided I wanted to go to a larger university. I grew up in a small town in Michigan, so I wanted to be around more people. So I forewent my athletic career and I decided to go into athletic training at Central Michigan. I fell in love with the school there. So I I kind of forewent my career in in athletics, but the competitive side of me didn't go anywhere. And so I was definitely, I was missing something my first four years while I was there. And then when I went to Florida Gulf Coast, I was like, I need to compete in something. I need to start getting back in the gym. I need to get after it. There was something just missing in my life. And that's where I kind of started my own personal transition towards just like loving training again, wanting to learn more about being in a weight room. I knew that like it was important, but you know, as an outside trainer and as a high school athlete, it didn't seem that important at the time. But as I started to progress in my career, I understood that like, I need to learn more about this. Right, And I was lucky enough to run into Bill Knowles at the Philadelphia Union Academy. And he just kind of opened this door and was like, listen, I don't care if you can do the best you know, rehab exercise on an athletic training table. I want to see what you can do in a weight room with an athlete that's load compromised. And what can you do to help this athlete get back to athletic normal? And so he kind of opened the door of like, so I don't have to just hide in this room with five pound weights. You mean I can, (laughs) I can can train them. And he was like, yeah, you need to train them. You know, just because they are injured doesn't mean that their world has to come to an end. We can work around this. We can train around an injury. And we can also at the same time, same time, pull that athlete out of the injury And that actually was kind of like his, his two, two and a half years of mentorship led to me getting my position at Louisville sports performance because Tina Murray popped in one time, she had heard that we were doing some really cool stuff with reconditioning and she had, she was interested in how Bill was taking athletic trainers and essentially turning us into the mix of an athletic trainer and a performance coach or a strength coach. We called them athletic development coaches because we're more than strength and conditioning, right? Right. So that actually just ended up, she just popped in for like an afternoon because she was floating around and kind of doing some stuff in Philadelphia. And I met her for five minutes. I spoke with her and she asked me one question. She said, where do you want to be in five years? And I said, I want to be a strength coach and I want to be at a power five university. And she said, shoot me an email. I might have a job for you. Oh, wow. So
0: <laughs> That's she, a pretty good, wanted- good meeting.
1: She watched about 20 minutes of of my coaching one of the uh, professional athletes that was in coming back from injury and just in the 20 minutes of what she saw from me and I guess my energy and my potential and I think she saw you know I have a little different background than a lot of other performance coaches that apply for those positions that she wanted to give me a shot. And so she was the second most influential, you know, mentor that I had in my life. And I am lucky to have met both of them. And I'm lucky that they were in the same room at the same time. Yeah, because then that led to me coming to the University of Louisville. And I've been here for going on my fourth season now.
0: That's awesome. So you kind of answered my next question because you spent time with the union. Now you're at Louisville. Talk to me about what your role is like there. Like, what is your day to day process?
1: So, I mean, the official role is senior performance coach. So okay. under the performance, you know, department, our performance department is, you know, a fully functioning like team. Yeah. It's athletic trainers, performance coaches, nutritionists, and psych. Yep. So, you know, my job is to get them stronger, fitter, faster. But my three goals are to minimize their injury, to maximize their athletic development, and to optimize their team success. Mm. We want to win right? Yeah. So yeah. So that's my goal. So so my job. I mean, at any given day, I can assist with nutrition and help come up with. Hey, we're gonna go on the road this day. Let's, Katie. Can you find a couple restaurants to send to our nutritionist? She'll pick the menu. Absolutely no problem. There's other days where we have athletes that you know maybe they roll an ankle and they're not able, able to get into practice that day. The athletic trainer will do all of the prep beforehand. Get them warm. Get them treated. Get some of that effusion out. Get some good joint range of motion going. And then once practice starts. I'm starting catapult data, doing some data analytics. I run over to the athlete, and we've got a regimented, we are going to do gait mechanics. We're going to do stationary running mechanics. We're going to do maybe some lower body strength in a neutral ankle position, you know, things like that. So, at any given day, I could be doing reconditioning. I could be doing strength and conditioning with the healthy athletes on the team. I could be doing data analytics. So, I wear many hats, and that's why you know, we say like we're performance coaches. We're not just strength coaches. We're not just conditioning coaches. Like we do all of it. And at any given day, whatever the, whatever is required of me, I'm going to step up and do, because again, my three goals, like I want to minimize the risk of injury. I want to maximize the athletic development. I want to win more games. Yeah. I came here to win. I didn't come here to you know lose games. So.
0: Right. I love it. I love it. So this actually kind of segues nicely into my next question, because You know, I love to talk to people about their philosophy and their big rocks, right? Because everybody that comes on this show kind of has a vision of how they want to coach and what they want their athletes to be able to do. So how did you come to those three? Minimize injury, maximize performance, and optimize winning. Like, how did you come up with those three?
1: Easy enough for me. Those are the three principles that every performance coach at the University of Louisville follows. Okay. We sat down and we all agreed that is why we are here. You know, we sat down and we all get to have, you know, a statement in the mission statement. And the mission statement is we're here to build athletes and prepare champions. We're here to do these three things. And so when you're hired in, if you don't already believe those things, it's not going to be a good fit for you. But Louisville Sports Performance has given all of us an opportunity to have a voice to kind of build this program out into something that we all truly believe in. And so... I 100% I live and breathe those three principles because right. I've seen them in action. You know, it makes sense. If you do minimize the risk of injury, you're going to have more player availability. Hopefully that helps us win more games. Yep. If we make them faster, stronger, more resilient, that minimizes the risk of injury helps us win more games. So yep. when we win more games, we tend to get, you know, more resources, which helps us maximize our de- yes. So it's, it's around and around we go, right? And so, you keep it simple. Those three big rocks, like we don't need to have six, seven, eight things that we believe in that we're trying to accomplish every day. Those are the three things. They're easy to remember. They're easy to keep up front and center. And we keep the main thing, the main thing. And those are the three that we, we like to focus on.
0: No, I love it. I love it. So as you've kind of alluded to already, like one of the big pieces of the puzzle these days is helping injured athletes get back on the field, the court, or the pitch. With that being said, I know you've talked about a criteria-based approach. So I would love to get your insight. What is a criteria-based approach and how are you using it with the athletes that you train?
1: So a criteria-based approach is gonna have something with key performance indexes, right, KPIs. Mm -hmm. And I think criteria-based approach is a very simple concept for a lot of performance coaches to understand because that's how we're evaluated. We're evaluated on these key performance indexes. We're evaluated on, Did they get stronger? Did they jump higher? Did they get faster? You know, things like that. And those are criteria based. Did they do this? Or did they not? Right. Whereas a lot of let's say like athletes get injured, a lot of sports medicine evaluations are based on time lost and days lost, not or number of injuries. So it's not like, okay, you had an ankle sprain, how how many days were they out? But, you know, a lot of their evaluation seems to be Timeline driven as opposed to criteria driven. Criteria yeah. driven would criteria driven would be you had an ankle sprain, they were out for two weeks. Did you get them back to this, this, and this? Right. That would be you know I think an ideal situation of what in my idea what a criteria based you know approach is. So it, it kind of differs between a, an injured athlete or a healthy athlete, right? So healthy sure. athlete, it's performance indexes. With injured athletes, it's performance indexes mixed in with athletic training and sports medicine protocols, right? So right. you can have criteria based for refusion. So I wrote it down so I wouldn't forget the name of it, but the Stroke Test Grading System, which is used for ACL reconstructions. So you can grade effusion zero to four based on how much effusion is in the joint when you push the swelling up and pull it back down. Okay. So they're already doing these things in their evaluations of injured athletes. You know, we're taught in athlete training, like, Is it mild effusion? Is it pitting edema? You know, there's different logo that you can use, but there are grading systems that you can use for criteria based to say like an athlete before they get back on the court coach, I got to get him down to a one plus on the effusion. Otherwise, that's too much swelling. They're going to have neuromuscular inhibition, you know, this, 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 and this. And so that to me is criteria based. Give me numbers. Give me something I can measure, something I can test and something I can train. So that I know whether or not I'm ticking these off as we're going along and I'm not just going to skip steps and potentially send an athlete back on the court before they're ready. Because as Bill Knowles likes to say, it's easy to get them on the court. It's hard to keep them on the court.
0: Yeah, I love that. And it's so interesting, too, because something that we get a lot at IFAST is we get these, I would describe them as post-rehab ACL clients or you know post-rehab like low-back type stuff. And so we get these athletes in. And it's not criteria-based, right? It's just timeline-based. So, oh, right. well, they've, you know, they're four months post-op. They can start going back into reconditioning. And then you get these athletes in. You're like, like none of the criteria checks those boxes, right? So I just love that you're using that type of approach. And it's more, I, I feel like it's so much more athlete-centric, right? It's yeah. all about where is this athlete at? And am I giving them what they need versus, oh, well, you checked this box up. It's been four weeks. Go back on the court. You're ready to go.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That timeline driven rehabilitation protocol. It's, it's kind of what every performance coach seems to be banging their, their head against the wall right now. Right. It's like right. Enter cement block and just we're fighting <laughs> that because again, it comes naturally to us to say like our criteria base is like, you got to be able to squat 70% of your body weight before you can squat 75%. That's just how it works. Right. So for us, it's like, you got to be able to do running mechanics before you can run. You yes. got to be able to put the brakes on before you can go so for us this makes sense but not necessarily for sports medicine because as someone who i am still certified i'm just not licensed no longer but we weren't taught that we weren't taught you got to put the brakes on before you go right we're taught well we're supposed to be working on knee range of motion so we're going to go ahead and do a physio ball against the wall a 90 90 squat we're also going to do straight leg raises we're going to do terminal knee extensions so we're kind of we're kind of put into a box and they're not necessarily educated at least some some of them are not i was not experience. I was not trained on how to do these criteria based things, because everything I was given was timeline based, timeline based. And I actually was thinking about this the other day, and it kind of an analogy, and I'm not sure how well it works. But you know, if you're baking something, and the instructions just say, add flour, add sugar, then you're going to add the butter. Okay, then that should be about four minutes of work. And then after four minutes, you need to get your whisk, you got to mix everything up, and it needs to be in the oven by five minutes. And by the way, that oven can be anywhere between 350 and 450. Up to you because every oven's different, right? Right. You might get something that tastes good, but it's not gonna look good. Right? <laughs> right. So when you're doing time like like when you're doing criteria based, you know you need a cup and a half of sugar. You need two cups of flour, you need three tablespoons of butter. Then you've got to do this, this, and this. So that when it comes out, not only does it taste good, but it's functional and it looks like a muffin.
0: Yeah, you know? yeah absolutely. So,
1: but, when you, when you just go timeline-based and there's some very vague guidelines to follow, it's a good thing because it gives you a lot of gray area to kind of sit within and, okay, we're gonna do this, we're gonna do that. But at the same time, if you're not given some KPIs or some criteria that you should hit at each step, you're gonna skip a step. And when you're baking something, if you skip something, it doesn't turn out right. It so usually still tastes good, but it's still not a muffin.
0: Right, I love that. So this reminds me, when Matt Jordan was on the show a few weeks back, he talked a lot about the rehab process. He does a lot of ACLs and he mentioned leading some of these sessions, like sessions where he's talking amongst the PT, the athlete, whoever. He talked about leading with the numbers and looking at objective elements of the rehab process first, because so many times they would get into these meetings and they'd be like, oh, he looks great or, oh, she feels great versus being data driven and numbers driven. So what happens when you don't have a criteria based approach or an objective or you don't have objective numbers that are driving your rehab process.
1: The biggest thing I see is if we're just going to go based off of how they look today and how they feel, especially in the first two to three months of, let's say, coming back from an ACL or any surgery, I think athletes tend to fall a little bit more behind because you're afraid to push them based on, mm. well, they're sore today. They're yeah. sore today and they're a, little, they're a little uncomfortable. They're supposed to be, but if we're using pain as a guide, I'm probably not going to push you that hard today if I don't know what you've done and I don't know what you're trying to get to. Gotcha. So if I'm just going day to day and I'm building forward and I'm only using subjective data, athletes are going to get sore. They're, they're going to be uncomfortable during that first really important two or three phases of a reconditioning process. That's where you're going to the first two or three months makes up what the last two or three months is going to look like. Yeah. So if you're skipping steps or you're not pushing as hard as you should, and then you fall behind, then it puts a lot more strain on those last two or three months because we still haven't gotten to where we need to get to. And doctor said it was going to be a six month surgery. And yes. that's what coach heard. And that's yes. what the athlete heard. And so now we, now we have six months to get them there. And we skip some of those steps in the beginning. So when you have to put an athlete in an in a position that they have to progress, and in order to progress, they have to push through the range of motion that they're probably uncomfortable being in. They have to push through muscle soreness, muscle fatigue, diffusion, joint pain, right? There's there's a a certain level of discomfort that you're going to expect when an athlete is coming back from any kind of injury or surgery. If you can at least measure where they are along the way and have obtainable goals and have the goal in mind before you ever get there. So, okay, this week, we're going to try and do this, this, and this. And then next week, we're going to try and add five pounds of this, we're going to try and add three degrees to your range of motion or, or whatnot. Those are just examples. If you don't have those along the way, you might fall back and fall back and fall back and not even realize that you've been stagnant right. until you look like, hey, we said two weeks ago we would like to be here. Now, I'm not going to push you past what you can normally do. But I think today, I know you're a little bit sore, but I'm not going to ask you to do anything that would put you in a, a compromising position. I need you to push today a little bit. We got to, we got to progress forward. We got to keep going. Right. And if you give an athlete number, if you give an athlete a goal, like the athlete knows that if they score more points than the other team, they're going to win the game. That's how they're wired. Right. in most sports, right? So if you give that athlete, you've got to score this many points today and you're going to win the game. You get this done today and you're going to win the, the reconditioning process. So they need goals. They need numbers to strive for. They need, like, they are just objectively driven. They are, my basketball players are objectively driven. They want to get rebounds. They want to get assists. They want to see how many three stops in a row they can get. And I'm not even talking about points, right? I'm right. just talking about like, they, they are data-driven anyway. Right. So give them something to hold on to. Give Set them up for success by giving them things that have been proven to be successful. Because at least my athletes, I'm at a Power 5 university. We're a top five women's basketball program. Athletes come here to win. So they're already good. So they yeah. have this mindset. They let athletes be athletes. Set them up for success by giving them moments during the reconditioning process where they can get wins. Yep. And there's going to be times where they lose, too. And that's fine. Give them some adversity. Help them overcome it. Yeah, I think that's our job.
0: Oh, my gosh. I love that. OK, so I got to go off script here for a second because I love the word reconditioning. And I find you use that a lot, maybe in lieu yep. of rehab. Is that on purpose? And if so, why?
1: 100%. I'm pretty sure rehab was a fireable offense when I spoke it at the Philadelphia Union Academy. <laughs> in front of the Okay. Uh, and if you, if you are familiar with him at all, I mean, he, and I'm, I'm going to butcher this a little bit, but you know, he defines reconditioning as, you know, a performance approach to returning an athlete back to athletic normal okay. and rehab is a medical approach to returning an athlete back to play. Mm. And so the verbiage that you use is important when you're talking to an athlete, it needs to be performance based because they are performers. They are performing on the court, on the hardwood, whatever. And so the verbiage that you use, we also don't say your hurt knee. It's a right knee or it's a left. You need to change the verbiage and the attitude about what it is, because if you don't turn that rehab process, which can be very medicalized, where where the athlete is going to be sitting, doing an isolated exercise with a five pound weight. If you don't turn it into a performance setting where they naturally are used to being in, they're used to lifting, they're used to playing, they're used to getting feedback, they're used to facing adversity and overcoming it, whether it's putting five extra pounds on the bar, or I don't want to do that last set, but I'm going to do it anyway, and I'm going to grind it out. Most athletes are going to want to do that. And when they get hurt, they lose that piece of themselves. They lose that identity of, I'm an athlete, I can do things. They turn into, I don't know what I can do anymore. There's this big brace on my knee, and I'm told I can't do this. And I told them not allowed to run, and they're told what they can't do. And you need to turn the rehab process into a reconditioning process. It's performance based. It's what can we do? What can we do today to get you back to where you want to be? This is our goal. How are we going to get there? So Love reconditioning that. very much so. It's very important the verbiage you use. Like I said, we don't say hurt you're right or your left. Yeah. So we're we're actively trying to change that verbiage around. You know, when an athlete gets injured, their mindset needs to not be, oh, no, what can't I do now? My ankle hurts. It needs to be, what can I do to get back on the court? My ankle hurts, but I can still work on this, this, this and this. Yeah, that's the difference to me.
0: I love that. I love that. So as I've often alluded to, and I know people like yourself are alluding to this as well. There's a ton of gray area, at least when it comes to the initial injury. And I'll use the term rehab for now, but I like I'm going to steal reconditioning going forward. But there's, there's a lot of gray area between that initial injury and the rehab process and then getting an athlete ready for high-level sports again. With that being said, how do you go about blending or merging that reconditioning process with then eventually the strength and conditioning process?
1: I mean, it's simple. Assessing is testing. Testing is training. Training is assessing. And around and around we go. Here's mm-hmm. another circle of, you know, you got to use your coach's eye. Every time we're in the weight room, I'm assessing. Every time we're in the weight room, I'm testing. Every time we're testing, I'm assessing, right? And so I think a lot of performance coaches have this skill set. They just don't know it yet. They just don't realize that every day, you know, when you're working with an injured athlete and let's say you're, let's say they're coming back from, you know, uh, MCL sprain and you got them in the weight room. Okay. So we're probably not going to squat because that's going to open up the MCL. That's going to irritate those fibers that are trying to heal back together. I might do some light range of motion type stuff or some assisted range of motion where they're going to be on their feet, maybe they hold a band and they work on squat depth, you can RDL. Yeah. Oh, we're going to hit the hamstrings, right? We're right. going to, we're going to go after the posterior chain. We're going to keep your knee as neutral as possible. We are going to hinge. We are going to hinge. We are going to hinge. So, I think a lot of us already do that. We might not know that squatting is going to open up the MCL fibers and that could further irritate the joint. But if you have communication with your athletic trainer and you ask them like, "Hey, Can I squat them, they'll say, Oh, no, let's not squat today. Give me something else. Can we RDL them? What's that? It's a hinge pattern. We're going to keep our knee a little bit straighter. Yeah, should be fine. Right. So I think a lot of us have that in us. Now I have the education to understand why it is that you wouldn't squat somebody right, right away with heavy load after an MCL. But you know, being able to work around the injury, I think a lot of us are already doing it. And that is the blend. So when an outside trainer comes to you, and they do have somebody with let's say, you know, a light grade MCL sprain and they can't practice. I have a coach who cannot stand when athletes are just sitting on the sideline doing nothing. Mm -hmm. Like his mindset is, we have to be productive. We have to get better. If they're injured, they're with Katie or the athletic trainer and you guys are working on rehab, you're doing something or they're doing ball handling on their own, you know, over here. So when when an athletic trainer comes to me and says, Hey, I got somebody with an MCL sprain. What are we going to do at practice today? I can give them four or five things that we're going to do and why we're going to do them. And the athletic trainer goes, oh, yeah, okay, that makes sense. So then the next time they get somebody with a knee injury, I've already established that trust. And then they bring more athletes to me. Okay, hey, listen, uh, Susie sprained her ankle yesterday. She can't run. Okay, can I put her on the bike and work on ankle range of motion? Oh, I think that's a great idea. What else do you want to do? Okay, well, then after I warm up her ankle, I want to do gait mechanics. I want to do this. I want to do that. All of this stuff, you know, performance coaches, we know how to do gait mechanics because we teach running. Right. We teach speed, we teach change of direction. If you can teach speed and change of direction, you know how to get a kid to walk again. Not all athletic trainers know that. Right. Because some of those intricacies of gait patterns, you learn heel toe and things like that in athletic training when you're learning, like in school, but you know, when you get in the real world, and you gotta teach speed. That's when I started learning about midfoot contact. I started learning about elasticity. I started learning about, you know, long response versus medium response versus short response plyometrics and how to prepare an athlete for running. And so preparing an athlete with an ankle sprain to get them ready for running, it's just like I'm getting a freshman in again. <laughs> Start them at base one, build them up. And right. if they can't do the things at base one, go to negative go to negative one. And so I think we all naturally have these skills. I think we just don't know it yet. And we do, we haven't built that relationship with our sports medicine professional yet to be able to have that conversation and to be able to chip in a little bit more when these athletes do face adversity and do get injured.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I think you you bring a really good point home and you talked about it earlier, you talked about it now, but Chris Chase, who's now with the Memphis Grizzlies, talked about this when he came on my show. He's big on focusing on the, what he calls the trainable menu, right? So we get so caught up in, whether it's in the rehab process, whether it's in the training process, oh, well, this person can't do that. This person can't do that versus focusing on, okay, what is on the table right now? What is our trainable menu? And then over the course of time, working to widen that, right? And that's exactly what you're alluding to here. Like, let's not focus on, oh, they can't do X, Y, and Z. Okay, that's fine. We know that, but let's focus on A, B, and C, which we know we can do at a high level. And then we can start to add X, Y, Z back in later on as they start to get healthy again.
1: Absolutely. And like I said, I think most performance coaches are already doing that because it's very rare to have a 100% healthy team in your weight room. Yes. There's always a couple of kids that are going to have this or that. This yes. kid can't catch the power clean because she's got a wrist sprain. Okay, well, we'll just do pulls then. Right. You know, I think we know, we know how to work around injuries, and I think most of us want the opportunity to do so. You just need to be able to have that conversation with your sports medicine professional because you got to understand that the sports medicine professional is under the gun of the physician, the head coach, parents of that athlete, the athlete themselves of, you know, hey, they need to get back from this injury. Most parents don't call me you know, the performance coach when someone sprains their ankle, when their kid sprains their ankle. They call it the athletic trainer. And so that athletic trainer is responsible for the health and well-being yes. and is usually the point person for the health, well-being, and return of that athlete. Now, they want our help, but sometimes they're afraid to ask because it's their butt that's on the line. Generally, ours is not on the line. Right. And that is something that I definitely, I don't miss that, being right. the athletic trainer, being the point contact of, I got to talk to the head coach. I got to talk to the physician, I got to talk to their parents, I got to talk to that athlete and keep them all, you know, going down the, the correct path. And right, I think if you can build the relationships with your sports medicine professional, and just show them like the value that we can bring to help work around an injury, then I think we're going to have a little bit more of a foothold in the reconditioning process, because sometimes we do get left out until the later stages. And then we have a lot of work to do. Like you had mentioned, when we first started, you get these four month post ops, and they're not where they need to be. Yep. And they heard before they even ever had surgery, it was going to be six months. Yeah. So, so now we've got two months to make up for four months of not wasted time, but certainly not as productive as it could have been time. Yeah. So I think it's just we need to show our value and work on our relationship with our sports medicine professional. But we need to remember, too, it's not as easy as us just saying, like, hey, we won't hurt them. Just give them to us. Right. You know, that sports medicine professional's got a lot of people that they have to answer to. And, you know, when things go wrong, we're not the ones getting the phone calls. They are. So we need to step up take a little bit more, you know, authority over, okay, I understand where they are at least coming from. And maybe why sometimes they skip asking for my help until the very end. And just ask if you can help in any way, or be like, hey, listen, I know it's a wrinkle. can we get an upper body lift in and just start to build relationships that way until you can start to okay, hey, listen, Susie did really well with upper body yesterday, I'd really just love to do some some, you know, hinging pattern and, and educate your your sports medicine staff on that. Because They want to know too. They want to get better. At least most of them do it. I hope so. I hope most of them want to get better, you know, with their reconditioning and their rehab process. That was me. I showed up to the weight room one day and Bill Knowles was like, come here, youngin. You got a lot to learn. (laughs) And I I didn't do a single rehab exercise in the athletic training. We did everything in the gym. Now, I'm not saying that I was taking my post-op ACLs and we were squatting first day, but- We were doing, you know, weight shifts inside the racks. We were doing seated upper body exercises. We were doing things like that. So I think sports medicine professionals want to learn. Some of them don't. And that's, you know, some some performance coaches don't want to learn. Absolutely. And so we, it's a very general statement that I'm saying. I understand that. And I've been lucky enough to have wonderful athletic trainers with my teams that I've had at the University of Louisville. And they've all understood where I'm coming from. I'm coming from a good place. But I'm just trying to work around the injury. Yeah. I'm just trying to optimize the success of this team by helping get this athlete back on the court so that when they get on the court, maybe they're a little bit stronger in their upper body too. Can, yeah. can we kill two birds with one stone? Because at the end of the day, we're all here to optimize the team's success and win more games.
0: Yeah. You had a couple things there. Like number one, using this downtime as an advantage in whatever sense Possible, right? So yeah, okay, maybe we do have to rehab your knee. But what other things can we be working on during this time to make you a better athlete when you get back there? But also, too, you said something that I think could be really powerful. Having athletes spend more time in the weight room versus being in the athletic trainer's office or with a PT or something, because I know when I've been injured in the past, it really sucks because you like being in the gym, right? As an athlete, you like being around your teammates. So I would imagine that isolation of, oh, now it's just you and the AT and it's like a different environment. It's very sterile versus, oh, I'm in the gym. Okay. I can't do everything my teammates can, but at least I'm around them and I've got that energy and I'm focusing on what I can be working on. I would think from a mindset and a psychological perspective, that would be really huge.
1: Reconditioning versus rehab.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love it. There it is again. I right? love it. So I love it. Yeah.
1: One hundred percent. You know, they, they let athletes be athletes, put them in a position to be successful. They are used to being in a competitive environment. They are used to being in a weight room. They are used to being with their teammates. They're used to being on the court. So can we marry the things that they have to get done in order to help create the most optimal healing environment for this injury? But can we also help create this optimal performance environment to help them continue to be athletes? Yeah. Because athletes don't do regular hurt people very well. They don't know how to do it. They right. don't know how to sit in an athletic training room, isolated with just an athletic trainer and do ankle mobs, you know, very yeah. well. They right. do, however, know how to get after it in a weight room or go watch more film with coach. Things that they're naturally gonna wanna do, I'm gonna try and let them do to the best of my ability. We still need to get stuff done. I'm not saying that athletes do not need to be in an athletic training room. They absolutely do. But once they get past the five pound weights that we're doing in there and we can start doing more stuff, walking on a court barefoot, you know, yeah. can we do gate training alongside practice? Can you incorporate a basketball into what they're doing? Can they do stationary, single leg balance, ball handling? You know, how creative can you get just to try and put an athlete in the environment that they're used to? Because when you take a fish out of water, it doesn't last for very long. And those right. athletes, when they're taken out of that competitive environment and they're isolated... In an athletic training room for long periods of time, it generally it breaks them down physically, it breaks them down mentally, it breaks them down socially. They don't have you know the same connection to their teammates. Yes, so that's a huge mental piece. That that's why we have you know Dr. Vanessa Shannon. She works with all of our athletes here at the University of Louisville, and we lean on her. And we I, we let her know as soon as an athlete has a serious injury. So she can start to work with them on the mental side. And then it is up to the rest of the performance department, the nutritionist, the athletic trainer and the performance coach to make sure that that athlete is continuing to get better in some realm every single day. And that is kind of our high performance team that we have here at the university is all four of us come together with the athlete in the middle and figure out, you know, how are we going to move from where we are to where we got to get to? How can we do it as safely as possible, but also as effectively and as quickly as possible, because we don't want them to be out any longer than they have to. Right. We just want to make sure that it's it's safe enough before we put them back in.
0: I love it. So let's take all this and try and find where the rubber meets the road here. How do we take all of these pieces, right? Medical, SNC, psychology, nutrition head coach, all of these pieces and put them together with the end goal of winning more games.
1: We all have to do our job. (laughs)
0: Yeah, Yeah.
1: Those three principles that we talked about, right? So our our high performance team, you know, with basketball, it's like we've got the nutritionist who's making sure that they have the fuel and they're educated on how to properly get the right things in their bodies that they can perform on a day-to-day basis. When they perform well, we win more games. You know, sports medicine, if they can get athletes that are injured, back into the weight room, back on the court faster, best ability is availability, we win more games. If I can get them stronger, faster, jump higher, if I can get the athletes that are injured Back on the court and in better shape and in a better position, so they're no longer low compromised, we're going to win more games. If our data analytics team, you know, we have a data analytics coordinator here, Paul Jones, and he has set up, you know, the Catapult platform so easy to the point where I can run a session and I can start doing stuff on the back end to make sure that I'm not only making them fitter, faster, stronger, but I'm also making sure that they're load tolerant, they're resilient athletes, because we're able to monitor externally what they're doing every single day in basketball. So I can look at acute chronic ratios. I can look at daily volume. I can look at jumps. So, you know, I've been set up in my position to make sure that not only am I going to help get these injured kids back on the court, but I'm also going to keep the healthy kids on the court. That's what we want to do. So. Number one, the best ability is availability. Keep them on the court. Give my head coach the most possible options to put the best roster on the court on any given night to win basketball games. And I'm lucky enough to have a head coach who's been doing this almost as long as I've been alive and <laughs> he's very good at what he does. So if all of us do our jobs and we take our jobs very seriously and we love what we do and we love on our athletes and we just want to see them succeed, winning takes care of itself. Right, yeah. the scoreboard takes care of itself. If you haven't read that book? That's a good one. Yeah. So all of these things, they all come together. All of these individuals come together in this high-performance team, and the athletes in the middle. And every single one of those athletes understands that, like, we're just here to make you the best basketball player you can be. And that's including our coaches. That's including, you know, any support staff that we have. Our managers are here. They'll rebound for you every day, so you can, you know, be a better shooter. We want to win games. I wouldn't be here, and I wouldn't work as hard as I do. If I didn't truly believe that we can win a national championship, it's in my blood. I'm too competitive. I told you, I was missing that little competitive piece. I am too competitive to to be okay with losing games. And all of our staff that is around this team, we just want to win. We want to win more games. We like winning. We hate losing. So we are all here to help come together and just be successful.
0: I love it. I love it. Okay. Big question time. If you could alter the space-time continuum and give young Katie Jones one piece of advice about training and or life what would it be?
1: Oh, you got to trust the process. 100%. I, You know, my favorite picture, it's like what you think success look, looks like and it's like a straight line. And yeah. then it's like what it really is and it looks like this. <laughs> yes. I mean, it, when people ask me, they're like, how did you become a performance coach at the University of Louisville? I'm like, "I was, I was an average athletic trainer who met the right people at the right time and i worked my butt off yeah. i everywhere my mentors were i was right behind them i was their shadow i probably annoyed them to the point where they're like i can't believe i hired this this chick you know <laughs> she's everywhere but i just i just was hungry i wanted to learn and at the time I didn't know where this was going to end up, but continuing to just trust the process. Cause there was a couple of times where I was like, I don't know if I want to make this career change. I went to school for four years. I went and got a master's so I could be, you know, the first MLS, you know, head athletic trainer that's a female. That was my goal. Right. Until I realized like I could be doing like with my skill set. I could be doing so much more with what I know that I'm not ruling that out, but that's no longer where I want to be. So I'm just trusting the process of like, just continue to get better and don't give up on doing what we're doing and trying to get better and pushing yourself because there's been plenty of times where I look back and I'm like, what, what in the world is going on here? Right. But then I see, I see where it's gotten me. So, you know, preparation breeds opportunity. And so just continue to prepare, continue to trust the process. Like it's going to be okay.
0: What do they say? Luck is when preparation meets opportunity.
1: Yeah. Something like that.
0: I believe that for sure. Okay. Last okay. but not least, we got our lightning round. So four fairly short questions, your answers can be as long or short as you like. All right. Okay. Number one, what's your career highlight so far as a coach?
1: Make it to a final four in 2018. Wow. With women's basketball.
0: That, that's a pretty, that big was one. pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome. That was
1: pretty awesome. Yep. Where
0: was that? Where did you go?
1: We were in Columbus, Ohio, Okay. One, which was right down the road. was basically a home game.
0: Yeah. I was going to say that's, not a far trip at all and, for and
1: listen, you know what? Tina Murray at the time was was the head performance coach. Well, She was, she was our director at the time, but she right. was leading leading basketball's program. It was my first year. She had a lot to teach me, but I like to think I was the lucky charm. She doesn't believe yeah. me, but I showed up and went to a Final Four. I'm just yeah. saying. <laughs> hey, I'd be taking that
0: too. I'd be taking that too. Okay, number two, and I realize this is not a great question after how we started the interview, but what's maybe one thing or maybe the most important thing that you learned from your time with Bill Knowles?
1: The importance of identifying and understanding what autogenic muscle inhibition is. So okay. autogenic muscle inhibition, just a quick definition is like when you have surgery or there's damage to an area, your brain shuts off the connection to the muscle. And yep. usually the first or second thing to go is your quad and your glute. And I think everybody understands this, right? When we have ACL surgery, we're trying to get that quad going. Yeah. we trying to get the quad going. We're going to put stem on it. We're going to do isolated exercises. We're going to really try and squeeze the crap out of that thing. And what Bill taught me is like, yes, we can do that, but we can also break that cycle by doing functional exercises. We can put a a STEM unit on them, but instead of just having them sit there and squeeze, let's have them do an eccentric squat while it's squeezing them so not only are they getting you know the neuromuscular stimulation from the unit that's on them but they're also getting a strength exercise now we're doing right. eccentrics into isometrics and we're building strength while we're also breaking this cycle of of muscle inhibition so understand what that is and understand there are multiple ways to break that and that is one of the most important things anytime there's any injury whether it's an ankle sprain it use, you, you know, sprain your elbow, like your muscles are going to shut off. It's your body's natural response to try and protect itself. So look up what it is, you know, there's different ways that you can break it. But if you can break that faster, you know, or sooner, you're going to see way better outcomes with your athlete. And the outcome is returning them back to athletic normal, get them back to before it ever was injured, let them forget that their wrist hurts, let them forget that they rolled their ankle last week. So yeah, autogenic muscle inhibition.
0: I love it. One of my favorites is when after a while you ask somebody, oh, how's your whatever today, right? It could be knee, hip, back, whatever. And they're like, they have to, like, they have to think back to which one they yep. injured, you know? Like that's always a good sign. Okay, number three, what are you most excited about with the college basketball season, hopefully right around the corner? Competing. Yes.
1: I love competing with the team. And I understand that I don't get to be on the court. I don't get to score any points, but I get to every single day live success. Through watching my athletes, who I've been kicking their butt since June, <laughs> right. watching them have success on the court is just as good to me as if I scored that point. Yep. So getting on the court and competing, and then getting to you know reconnect with some of the other performance coaches, with some of the teams that we play, you know, we're used to seeing each other way more often than we have been sure. doing quarantine things like that. So just reconnecting and and, and cre- continuing to grow my network with you know, women's basketball performance coaches and, and yeah, seeing people, and, but getting out there and hopefully winning more games. That's, I love it. That's what I was looking forward to.
0: I love it. Okay. Last but not least, number four, what's next for Katie Jones?
1: National championship. That's it.
0: Nothing else needs to be said, right? Just like my drop. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, Katie, I know you got to go. You've got things going on today. It's been awesome chatting with you. Where can my listeners find out more about you and all the great work you're doing?
1: Yes. So the University of Louisville's performance webpage is cardinalsperformance.com. And on there, you know, you can find out more about our mission, vision, our values. You can find out about our mentorship program. You can also follow them on Instagram. And I think it's, I think the Twitter is the same and it's going to be U of L performance at U of L performance. And then my own personal is at Katie Jones, K-A-I-T-I-J-O-N-E-S. That's Twitter and Instagram. I, uh, I have some good Instagram stories featuring my dog. If you guys are looking for some yes. quality, some quality smiling content, I love but it. also, you know, some training stuff on there. So yeah, that's where you can find us.
0: I don't know, man. Like training content's a dime a dozen. I'm, I'm down for some good dog content. So, <laughs>
1: yeah, that and usually I do a thing called King of the Carton where okay. I, I play a game where, I, where we crack eggs. So, I got a lot of quality content out there, people. I love I'm, it. I'm trying to keep it fresh. I, keep
0: it fresh. I, I love it. I'll make sure I get all that in the show notes so you can find out everything that you're doing. But, Katie, again, thanks so much for coming on the show. This is really great.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure.
0: All right, my friend, that does it for this week's show with Katie. Sincerely hope you enjoyed it. Like I said up top, I just love this girl's energy. I felt like we had an awesome chat, and I definitely think it's going to take some work on my part, but I love using the term reconditioning instead of rehabilitation. I think that really shifts the entire mindset and psychology of the whole process. So if you enjoyed this week's episode, please do me one of two favors. Number one, if you're not already, please subscribe to the show. Doesn't matter where you listen to podcasts, we're probably there. iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Play, Amazon, I think we are basically everywhere at this point. So if you're not already, subscribe to the show now so you will get an update each and every week when a new episode drops. If you are already subscribed, I appreciate it. Do me one more favor. Go on to iTunes, give us a rating and a review. Ratings and reviews are the most surefire way to make sure that more people find out about the podcast and will get to learn from the amazing guests that we have on here each and every week. So my friend, like I said up top, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for your support. Love and appreciate you. And we'll be back soon with our next episode. Take care.